0: Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode three, The Colt Clan Incest Case. Welcome back to True Crime Works. This is episode three, The Colt Clan Incest Case. Before we get started, I wanted to issue a trigger warning for this case. This case involves incest and crimes of a sexual nature. If you find this disturbing, you may want to skip this episode. This case is about the Colt family, C-O-L-T. They are an infamous New Zealand family involved in incest. It's a very shocking and vile case and it's enough to make any parent sick to their stomach. According to the dictionary, incest is defined as sexual intercourse between people who are very closely related. It's taboo in many cultures, especially nowadays, but it's not really uncommon in our history as humans. Some forms were accepted historically. As you probably remember from school, A lot of the royal families would practice marrying their cousins, sometimes even first cousins, in order to preserve the royal bloodline. Some other families would do this out of proximity or necessity. Sometimes there was just no one else available to marry. Although it may be legal to marry your cousin in some countries and even some states in the US, a lot of people have found in their studies that It can cause a lot of genetic conditions. And marrying someone who is closer related to you, such as a sibling, and having kids with them, can often lead to serious genetic conditions. To this day, the identity of the Colt family remains shrouded in mystery. Even the name Colt is not the real name. It's designed to protect the identity of the living children of the clan. So this isn't even the real name. They do this in order to protect the kids that are still living out there from the horrors that they suffered. Not a whole lot is known about the origins of the Colt clan either. The mother of all this is known as June, and she was born in New Zealand in 1948. She would go on to marry Tim Colt in 1966. And this is where everything started. The pair decided to immigrate to Australia sometime in the 1970s. They moved to a destitute farm in Borowa, New South Wales. No one knows really why they chose this particular place, but they wanted something that was secluded, probably because they wanted to hide their depravity from the watching eyes. Not a whole lot is known about them before this, but they did have seven children. One of their seven children was Betty Colt. Betty was 12 when her father, Tim, began first molesting her. And this resulted in Tim fathering at least one of Betty's children. And this is probably the first case of the incest. Many people think this is where it all began. The family grew rapidly. They had about 40 members total, and all of them would engage in various forms of incest. The boys were actually encouraged to molest the girls, and sometimes the girls were even held and tied to trees while the boys raped them, their own family members. This would lead to many pregnancies among the young girls of the Colt clan. Sometimes in order to hide their pregnancies, the girls would miscarry on the farm. A lot of the children born had major deformities. This was not only from the inbreeding, but this was also due to the lack of medical treatment during childbirth. The pregnant girls were not giving any medical assistance during childbirth, which of course led to deformities. Of course, these people didn't want to go to a doctor, especially if their 14-year-old daughter was giving birth. A lot of questions would be asked and they did not want to have any of that. So unfortunately, this led to a lot of deformities that could have been prevented. Also, the living conditions were sickening. There was no running water No showers or toilets. This left the children with health conditions that were terrible and of course there was no medical treatment for any of them. Education was not a priority of the family. Sometimes welfare officers would come to the farm and then the mother said that the children were homeschooled but There was no evidence of this, and they were not at the level that they should be if they were actually going to school. Something interesting is you can Google pictures of this case and where they lived, and it's really sad. You can see the living conditions, and it's kind of eerie at the same time because you know what's going on, but wow. I think one of the most interesting members of the family was Betty Colt, as you remember from earlier. Now, Betty would take over as the leader after the death of her parents, and they died sometime around 2009. So this was way into this. This was going on for a very long time. Now, she encouraged incest among the family, and she had many children with her family members. She had at least one with her father, and then she had other kids with her brothers. I think she had 12 or 13 kids total. She had a lot of kids, and they were products of incest. Now, somehow, these people were able to get away with this Not only the incest, but the child neglect for a very long time. The authorities began to notice this in June 2010. There were several reports of potential risk of harm at the farm. But sadly, nothing happened. Nothing would happen until July 2012. And this was when another child, just another child, not a family member, overheard one of the Colt children talking about incest that was going on. And then that's when authorities decided it was time to investigate. They found the revolting living conditions. They immediately put several of the children into foster care, including some of Betty's sons. The Colts were charged with incest and child neglect. The lead investigator, Peter Yeomans, would describe this as, quote, like nothing I've ever seen, end quote. As you can probably imagine, the rehabilitation was not an easy thing for these children. The children are the real victims here, and it's really sad what happened to them. Unfortunately, the scarring left on the children by their time at the colt farm was gone, has stayed with them, even to this day. Now, during the rehabilitation programs, many of the children were exhibiting sexual behavior because that's all they knew. That's all they were taught. That's their world. Other kids were showing violent tendencies. And the kids would say that the animals were often attacked during their time on the farm. They were often attacked for no reason, so animal abuse is another thing that was going on there. One child, his name was Carl and he was 12 at the time, he threatened to attack one of the workers at the rehabilitation facility. He said he would stab them with a pencil and cut their throats. So that's a very violent tendency to have, especially for a 12-year-old. So he was probably learning that from someone. Now, we talked about schooling earlier and how it pretty much didn't happen. So a lot of the children had developmental issues. One of the 15-year-old boys reportedly had the mental capacity of a 5-year-old. And a lot of the older children were still wetting the bed. Also, their hygiene habits were lacking, of course, because you don't know how to brush your teeth or use toilet paper or anything like that if you're not taught it, because it's a learned trait. And unfortunately, they were never taught this. They were only taught bad things about incest and how to torture animals. It's really sad. A lot of the other children also had highly sexualized behavior. One of the girls was only five and repeatedly tried to kiss the male caretakers on the lips. Another one of the girls who was eight, I think, tried to force a boy to have sex with her. The children would later say that these activities were often encouraged by the adults. And they also talked openly about sexual relations they had on the farm, both with the adults and the other children. Now I'm going to go over some of the family members and what the genetic testing has revealed. Betty Colt, as we talked about earlier, genetic testing has revealed that all of the children were fathered by her family members. Her 15-year-old son, Bobby, was fathered by either her own father, Tim, or her brother. The others that were tested were fathered by a close family member, even though she denied this and said that they were fathered by an unknown man. Martha Colt, another sibling of Betty's, had four children and they were either fathered by her own father, Tim, or her brother. Tammy Colt is the adult daughter of Betty. She revealed that all of her children were fathered by her brother, Derek. Genetic testing has confirmed this. Sadly, one of her daughters died at only two months old of a genetic disorder. Tammy and her children did not live at the farm, but later the authorities would remove her children from her home. Of course, when all this came out, the family members denied this. Betty said that the father of her children was another man. But then genetic testing revealed otherwise. Charlie Colt was the brother of Betty. He fled Australia in June 2014 when he was asked for a test swab. He too denies this. He is believed to be the father and uncle of many of the girls. He is also said to have sex with his daughters, but he denies this. He also stated that genetic testing was, quote, absolute rubbish. So all of the children were placed in foster care and or treatment programs. The incest relationships may be long over, but many of the members of this family are still living with this today. Today, Betty Colt remains in Australia. This is despite the government's attempts to deport her back to New Zealand. She lives with her daughter, Raylene, and at least two other unknown male relatives. Weirdly, she has attempted to establish relations with other cult members via social media. Wow. So this case may be disgusting in every sense of the world, and it also remains one of the most fascinating peeks into the minds of these individuals. And it's a very rare case about a family that was built almost entirely on incest. All we can do is hope the remaining children are able to find peace and live somewhat normal lives. This is a tragedy in every sense of the word. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime Works. I really hope you enjoyed episode three, The Cult Clan Case. If you could, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps the show, and it also helps others find the show. You can follow me on Instagram at True and if you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com, or send me a message on Instagram. Thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you next week.